Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Well, 2022 is nearly in the books, and I know many of us have already started to plan out our goals for 2023. I know that I am guilty of that. Um, and certainly, you know, every year comes with promises of new possibilities or the opportunity to, you know, try again the things that maybe didn't go quite so well in this previous year. Um, but before we skip ahead to 2023, I have learned um from you, Jim, in the past, that the best way to step into something new isn't by just saying, you know, good riddance to anything that happened in the past, but rather by first taking a moment to reflect on the past to see, okay, well, what should I leave behind? But then also, what should we bring with us into whatever new endeavor we're um, approaching? So that's what I want to spend some time doing in this episode, which will actually be our last episode of the year. So we're going to take a couple of weeks off, um, but then we're going to return the first week of January. And just really quickly before we dive into today's conversation, um, I just want to, and I know I speak for Jim too, he may have a word, but I just want to thank you very much, give just a very heart felt thank you um, for all of you who guys, guys who have been faithfully listening to this podcast each week. Um, many of you already heard um, that some of uh, the year-end statistics that we got from one of our listening platforms that let us know that this podcast is being listened to in more than, I think, like 24 countries, and it's in the top 10% of podcasts listened to globally. I mean, just Thing, statistics that have blown our mind, quite honestly. In fact, um, when Jim sent those to me, I replied with, so you're telling me it's not just my mom who's listening to this? Um, and apparently not. Apparently more of you are. So thank you so much for giving us this opportunity um, and just for wanting to eavesdrop on Jim's and, I, and my conversation um, and just learn from him each week. So thank you for that. Yeah, I, let me. I will add a little footnote to that. I'm, I, I too want to thank everyone. Uh, for that. And, and, you know, we, we, um, we hope that what we're doing is somewhat unique and that we, it has a very specific focus on the interplay between faith and culture, church and culture, but really looking at headlines and looking at issues and helping people in a short, concise way, but hopefully very informative way, uh, get some sense of how do you, how do you interact with these things Christianly? How do you think about these things Christianly and, 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 and from a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview. And so, um, we've, we've had a lot of fun. You and I have talked offline. We've just, we've had a blast doing this and enjoy it. And so we're delighted that it's, it's, um, scratching an itch, meeting a need and being well-received. Yeah. Well, let's jump into our year in review. I guess we can call it that. Um, something that has stood out to me about 2022 is that in many ways, it's really kind of our first glimpse in, in some ways at post COVID life. Obviously, COVID is still a big deal. It's still very serious, but maybe not quite in the same imposing way as it had been the last two years. And so we all, I know I started 2022 wondering, you know, what was going to go back to normal after the pandemic? And then what would we see um, that has forever been marked by pandemic life? And so now that we're at the end of the year, I think we have a better vantage point to answer some of those questions. So Jim, what have you observed? I had one word 
that I think we can now say for certain is marked, looking back on things COVID now that we're on this side of it, is the word acceleration. We now know that what happened was that so many cultural trends and issues were just accelerated. Things that were already on track, things that were already happening, things that were already in process. It just like went in dog years, you know, it just went so much faster. So, uh, for example, two things that we've talked about extensively and I've written about a fair amount and I'm getting ready to have a new book come out that will deal, delve into it even more is um, uh, not simply the acceleration of the rise of the nuns. I, I would say that that's actually going through a small, not plat, not plateau, but, but slowing down. It's like, it's like a consolidation phase, but the acceleration of people leaving the church. And so, which is a reflection of the rise of the nuns, but it went beyond the rise of the nuns, I think through COVID, but there was already a moving away from church and church involvement throughout the West and COVID accelerated that. Also the digital revolution uh, that was already in place that got accelerated in terms of, of society becoming more and more and more completely given over to the ramifications of the digital revolution. And so that has made the new normal a hybrid, uh, this thing where you really are both, by hybrid, I mean that you both have this in-person and online, and that churches need to be hybrid also in the sense that they're a church for Christians, obviously, Christian church, but they're also, their primary person they're trying to reach is someone who's unchurched. And so uh, you have this kind of this hybrid model going across the board. I found a, a really nice little uh, quick case study or in a case, uh, quick uh, picture of, of this post-COVID hybrid thing that's just taken over, uh, both in person and online and combined was um, just recently we found out that uh, like Black Friday weekend broke every record for in-person uh, shoppers that had stood since like 2017, 2016. I mean, it broke every record. So it wasn't, this wasn't just like, this goes all the way back to pre-pandemic. We set every record for people in malls, in person, shopping, you know, in stores, Black Friday weekend of 2022. At the same time, I remember reading that same day, another news story that I think it was uh, uh, the AMC movie theater chain, but one of the regal movie, the one of the main movie theater chains, um, was laying off workers at like a 20, 30% end in stock and that people were, were still voting with their feet, not going to movies. And so, you know, there was clear choices. They say, you know, I, I do want to do this in person. I don't want to do this in person. I want, I want streaming movies on my big screen TV. I'm not going to necessarily flock back to movies or at least not many of them, but I kind of miss shopping. So I'm going to go back to that. And so that was that perfect example of post COVID you don't have just a return to the physical. You have this ongoing sense of people choosing on any given day, any given week. I'm going to do some things physical, some things digital, and uh, some things are permanently digital now. Some things I'm never going back to digital for, but but probably most things are going to be driven by just that day, that week. And so I think that's a good picture of the hybrid world that we now live in. But all things accelerated, not just uh, the dechurched, not just digital revolution. So many things got accelerated during COVID. Hmm. 
Well, <laughs> to shift a little bit to talk about things that actually have seemed outside of our control, um, I want to talk about Time's Person of the Year. Every year, they choose a Person of the Year. And this year, it was Vladimir Zelensky, along with, it was like Vladimir Zelensky and the Spirit of Ukraine. You know, the Russia-Ukraine conflict began back in February, um, and it has already resulted in, between casualties and military, I mean, hundreds of thousands of deaths, and it has displaced more than 10 million people. And so... How do you see how this war has shaped the world? I mean, how hasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's in every possible way, economically, politically, militarily. Um, you know, you could say that it's severely weakened Russia or exposed Russia's lack of military strength, that it wasn't such a the, the two-week in and out that they thought it would be. Um, China has certainly been emboldened, has become a much major, uh, much larger player on the world stage. Uh, Ukraine has inspired so many people around the world. Uh, the U.S., I think, has been enhanced in, in, in its role as a world leader and also its own military prowess. We'd kind of taken a black eye through Afghanistan, but this was a different war where we were able to supply our technology and our weapons and let others indigenous to that area, you know, do the fight and prove that, um, you know, the U.S. Is, is still the world's leading power militarily. And again, I'm not saying right or wrong on any of this stuff. It's just been kind of like you say, how has the world changed? And that's, yeah. those are some of the ways that it has is, is changed. But I, I think that if I were to say, what is it we, we need to really see embodied in this whole invasion? Is something we talked about on an earlier podcast, which is when we talked about Christian nationalism. Yeah. One of the things that we didn't get into in that, but is natural for the way you phrased up this question is one of the year in 22 review is a lot of people don't realize just how much Russia's decision to invade uh, Ukraine was uh, based on the Russian Orthodox Church and Russian Orthodox Christian nationalism. Only in this case, it was Russian Christian nationalism and based on the Russian Orthodox Church. And we had an earlier podcast on that I'd really encourage people to listen to. Um, it was one of our very first ones, and so it could have been easily overlooked, you know, as uh, before uh, the podcast began to be listened to by far more people. But um, it really was. It's a, it was a deeply religious, spiritual, Christian nationalism type of, of motivation and what Ukraine means to the Russian Orthodox Church. And so I think apart from the understanding that you really don't understand this conflict and what's motivating it for Putin and the Russian Orthodox Church, which has given complete support to Putin for this. So I would encourage people to go back and, and learn more about that. Listen to that podcast, because what we're seeing, the Christian nationalism in the United States that kind of religious nationalism is not confined to the United States. You see Hindu nationalism in India, very much on the rise. You have uh, nationalism rooted in the Russian Orthodox Church, as I mentioned, in Russia. And I could point to other countries where you have some type of religious nationalism that is coming to the forefront in much the same way that Christian nationalism is. And so I think that's that's a that's one of the things that we should walk away from 2022 noticing culturally. And so I would encourage people to go back and listen to the, our, our mm -hmm. podcast on Christian nationalism. So you know what I'm talking about. And then also go back and listen to the one that we did on the conflict in Ukraine and the role of the Russian Orthodox church with that. And you'll really see how this is erupted in our world. Mm. Yeah. And we'll be sure to link that episode in the show notes mm. for sure. Yeah. 
Now, I mean, along with the deaths that COVID is still racking up, as well as um, the Ukraine-Russia conflict, um, every year is marked by the passing of some high-profile um, people, celebrities, politicians, authors, leaders. Um, this year, we lost people like Madeleine Albright and Mikhail Gorbachev, Angela Lansbury, Loretta Lynn, Jerry Lee Lewis, um, and of course, many others. But without a doubt, I mean, it was Queen Elizabeth II's death that was the most high-profile death of 2020, 2022. Um, but I'm... I want to take kind of like a personal, more personal approach to this question, I guess. I'm interested in whether there are any deaths, any lives really in particular that we lost this year that was the most impactful for you. Um, you know, this was a question that you graciously let me know about in advance. So thank you, um, uh, because I, I, I did want to reflect on it. And, um, and there was a death that uh, wasn't in major headlines, like the ones that you mentioned, but, um, and it was somebody who died. I did not know them personally. I never met them once in my entire life, though we traveled in a lot of the same circles and shared some of the same friends like, uh, and mentors like John Stott was, was a friend of this man and, and, and a mentor to me, but it was a, but, uh, it was a man named Stuart Briscoe, who was a British, uh, preacher and, and a pastor for many, many years in Wisconsin, pastor at Elmbrook church. Uh, there, um, he died in August of this year at the age of 91. And, um, he was, um, when he, he began, you know, a a teaching and preaching ministry, but in 1971 during the United States, uh, he was approached by, I don't know all the details of the story, but was approached by a church in Wisconsin and asked to become its pastor. And he had been challenged by someone, uh, who said, you know, uh, you don't really know and love the church. And Briscoe said, well, yes, I do. And this person said, no, no, no. You, you love an abstract idea of the church. You, you, you love the mystical invisible bride that's talked about in the new Testament. Um, but uh, you have to understand that the Bible is mostly full of very real churches with specific locations and specific contexts. And uh, you don't love that church because you don't know that church. And Briscoe was deeply convicted by the idea and was shortly thereafter approached by a church in Wisconsin. And he said yes to that and gave the rest of his life to pastoring that church and, and turned it into a really a, a phenomenal, wonderful church. And, um, and he became well-known among other pastors um, as kind of a pastor's pastor, and, you know, and, and uh, much sought after about, you know, how to, how to deliver a, a difficult or a controversial sermon and how to deal with mistakes and, 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 and just how to, how to um, evaluate the success of good messages. He was a contributor to Christianity Today and specifically Preaching Today magazines and things of that nature. He sat down for ministry back in uh, the year 2000, if I'm correct, after serving that church uh, to the age of 70. So he started so it was about 30 years that he was at that church. And, um, and, uh, you know, he just wanted his mantra to be his headstone that he served God faithfully for his generation. And he, uh, and, uh, so there's a lot of people in the news, leaders of large ministries and large churches, uh, for not finishing well. Uh, here was a man with a large, long ministry who finished well. And I, want to celebrate that a life long lived, but well lived and faithfully serving 
uh, as um, and um, so Stuart Briscoe. And uh, there's a lot of people who might know that name. Again, he was uh, well known, I think, among pastors. Um, but uh, yeah, well done, good and faithful servant. What an equally important lesson about the importance of having good, godly people in your life who can give that kind of challenge that his friend gave him that led him to the church. Yeah, and and you know to to just to just I love the fact that um, there was a vision cast for the local church, and he gave his life to it, and 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 I I, I wish more would. Because I do think that that is what dominates the New Testament and ministry, and there is no ministry outside of the umbrella of the local church, and and it is the hope of the world. And I, I also celebrate it because, um, you know, it, it's in a day where there is a lot of talk about, you know, failures. This was a man who, as sin stained as any of us, though, was above reproach, and lived a good life and loved his wife and his family and loved his church and was faithful and there was no scandal or, you know, attached. And, and he died at 91 and was, was celebrated. He had a post retirement ministry of teaching and such, but, um, uh, but, uh, was celebrated by all who knew him and, and, uh, you, you never, never read a bad word about him. And, and I just, I just think we need to honor those people. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. Yeah, I don't think that that's what I would have thought you would respond with, but I, I love that. Thank you. Um, all right. Another annual tradition is that Merriam-Webster announces a word of the year every year, and it's usually reflective not only in like a bump of searches that they've seen on their website for a particular word, but it also usually has some cultural undertones to it. Um, and this year, they chose the word gaslighting. Would you care to define that and talk about how that word does, or maybe you think does not reflect 2022? <laughs> sure beats Oxford's word of the year, which was goblin mode. Oh, gosh. <laughs> which was based simply on number of searches, which was, you know, uh, anyway, but goblin mode, just so I don't leave you hanging, is leading a completely selfish, self-indulgent life. You don't want to go into goblin mode. Oh. Um Gaslighting, I think, is a pretty decent word for 2022. You certainly heard it a lot, and a lot of people were accusing others of it or, or wondering when it was happening. Gaslighting is when you manipulate someone using uh, psychological methods, and what you're trying to do is get them to question their own sanity, their own their own process of reasoning. When you gaslight someone, you're you're doing things like saying, you know, like me saying to you, Alexis, are you are you sure about that? And and, um, you know, are you being a little sensitive and maybe overreacting to that, you know, or, or um, you know, gee, Alexis, I don't remember that happening or happening that way. Or, um, oh, that's not real. That's just fake news. You're 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 buying into the wrong things. And or if you were to on a, on a much more serious, not, not that those things couldn't be applied to something serious, but when a woman, for example, uh, is is abused uh, and, and faces misogynistic behavior or sexual um, is you know, raped or assaulted or, or something uh, is someone saying, well, don't go forward with that because no one will believe you. Mm. Uh, so it's a, it's a common against people who have suffered under abuse. And so all of those are aspects of gaslighting when you gaslight someone. I think the term actually came about from a movie that dealt with some of those things. I think back in like the 1930s, it was a very old movie and I think it was called Gaslight. But on that one, you better fact check me because I'm not exactly <laughs> sure. But I'm pretty sure it comes from an old movie. The name of an old movie had something of that. And it just kind of resurrected in recent uh, time. But yeah, for 2022, I, I think that you can make a case that it's a good word for the year. Um, uh, there was a lot of false narratives. 
a lot of misleading information and a lot of people that um, were uh, gaslighting others or attempting to gaslight others or gaslight movements. or And it was particularly egregious when it was used to keep uh, abused people silent. Well, without a doubt, looking at movies and shows that we watch, you mentioned that gaslighting, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll see it came from an old movie. We'll put it in the show notes if it was a movie. <laughs> and let's see if I'm right, if my memory is fading with age. Oh, goodness. Well, I don't have a very trustworthy memory either. I'm a journalist. I need to write things down. But anyways, um, movies, shows, music, they all give us a really good pulse on culture in a lot of ways. And this year, you know, the if you look at the top 10 list of like the top grossing movies of the year, I mean, they're do- that list is dominated by superheroes, you know, DC, Marvel, like, um, and on the music front, it's interesting. Did you see that- any of them? Oh, um, maybe a handful. I do like um, like Avengers and that type of thing, but I don't know if I saw them. I'm not a big movie person, but um, but then yeah, on the music front, you know, the Latin artist Bad Bunny, you know, dominates charts alongside big names like Harry Styles and Justin Bieber and Taylor Swift and Doja Cat. What takeaways do you have from our media consumption this year? Well, you already alluded to, I think, some of the low hanging fruit when you look at. The, the most the highest grossing movies, which I do think is is one of many ways to look into culture and to read into culture. I think that the the headline you put next to movies is escape. Oh. We wanted mm-hmm. to escape, um, and I you know uh, superhero movies did dominate, and escape movies I think dominated mm-hmm. um, movies that gave us that escape I should say, and I think that's what you see with with the superhero movies that genre. Um, with music, if I had to pick a word. And this came because you mentioned Bad Bunny, but also others. Uh, I think we look to music for catharsis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many ways, I think that's what has made Taylor Swift's mu- music so popular is that she gives people who listen to it lyrically a, a cathartic moment. Um, uh, they are able to release emotions or even rep- repressed emotions. And, um, and uh, for good or bad, they might be emotions as like, okay, we're not, we're, we don't want to own that we have this emotion. But somebody like Bad Bunny comes along and is like, okay, yeah, yeah, that is exactly, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. So, um, but when you look at media uh, too culturally, so I would I would say that I think with movies it was escape. With with music, it was very much a catharsis for in many ways. When you look at the kinds of music uh, songs that were popular and the artists and what they were saying, but um, I think that what what is absolutely now clear is that we control. Our media consumption. I mean, we're, we're, we're not subject to just what is played over the airwaves or put out in the movies or distributed through cable. I mean, um, it's, it, you know, I, I have what I want and what I stream, what I want to listen to. And it can be very eclectic. We can put together things that are very eclectic, but I'm in charge. And, and, uh, and it's what I want to watch. It's very individualistic and uh, it's very private. And uh, people say, but isn't it driven by crowds? I mean, something goes viral and so everybody wants to go. To- well, yeah, but I, I, I can be exposed to something and I can maybe try something because I hear about it. Um, but privately, I can choose to watch it or not. And I don't have to watch it if I don't want to and to fit in in that sense. And so viral makes me try, but private allows me to quiet quit all day anything that I, I want. And so, in so it's interesting. I, I I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm not sure I want to live with this, but in many ways, I think this has made movies and music less influential. 
And I, and I do think that culturally they're less influential than they were certainly pre COVID. And I think that, uh, their, uh, social media is far more influential YouTube and other things like that, far more influential than movies or music. And, um, and many times it, it when you say, well, what's more influential, what's most influential within movies, I say it's what's streaming as opposed to what's necessarily in the theaters. Sure. And so, um, like I, I, like I find various things just fascinating as windows. Like for example, recently, I think I shared this with you and some others, you know, I was just learning that the most streamed show in Netflix history in its first week was the new release of Wednesday, you know, based okay. off the Adams family. Okay. And then you read further that as making, that is itself making, having goth make a comeback mm-hmm. among Gen Z and younger. Well, see, that may seem like such a small little thing, but you know, that's, that's, that, that's the kind of stuff that's fascinating to me culturally, where you can study it and learn things and see influences and what's causing things. And so I do think that things like movies and media, it's important to know, but streaming and how that's influencing people and what it's doing to people. And so we've had podcasts on that as well. What can you, what should you watch? What should you be looking at? And I think that's just part of being a student of culture. You know, so much of what you said, I didn't mention this in the, in the question, but cause I'm, I'm not a big TV watcher or movie um, viewer, but I, I am an avid reader and I know you are too. And a lot of what you said really resonated with me in terms of what I've like noticed in reading culture as well. Like, and a lot of like the podcasts or blogs or whatever that I listen to about just books in general, um, there's like this common theme of either like, I want to read about someone who is living the exact life that I'm living in, or I want an escape and I want a happy ending and I want to be very far from here. Well, and it's like, escape yeah. catharsis. Yeah. That's yeah, really yeah. interesting. So I, I do think that we do tend to look at one of those two and, and, and the catharsis can not just be repressed emotional feeling, but the catharsis can be having someone tell me that how I'm living or how I am is okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that I'm not bad for that and I'm not weird for that. I'm normal for that. And so, yeah, it's, it's him to be one of those two, isn't it? Yes. That's a really interesting insight, like to bring into 2023. Cause I'm, I'm thinking like that would be a really helpful piece of information that would like help me to understand what I'm doing with my reading life or movies or music or whatever, but then also realize like what's missing from that approach that we might want to tweak a little bit for a more right. kind of holistic right. experience of life. Right. Yeah, right. interesting. All right, well, I want to take a magnifying glass now to examine Christian subculture this year, um, specifically within the church. And I would say a few things stand out um, for me. You know, we've, we've seen a lot of denominational divides this year, a lot of very public moral failings of church leaders, um, this kind of simultaneous decline of Christianity in the West, in the U.S. and specifically, coupled with the rise of Christianity um, in the Eastern world. But what stands out to you? A few things. Um, one, the the we really did through COVID, um, and we there's all kinds of reasons we get into, and we have gotten into in previous podcasts. But the loss of peripherals from the church, you know, those that were already kind of on the edges, not fully part of the core, they weren't fully assimilated. They were kind of you know attending here and there, but it's almost like we just completely spun them off. They just mm-hmm. completely left, um, and. And I don't know that we, we've explored enough to know who specifically they were, why, you know, that gave them their kitchen pass to never get back in, whether it just they got out of habit. Was it just 
what was it? Was it just, you know, the church misbehaving during so much of COVID or Christians? But you had the loss of peripherals. There's a huge cultural phenomenon. Hmm. Second was um, for me, and I'm very sensitive to this, and, and I don't hear hardly anyone talking about this, but this is one of my theological um, uh, uh, flashpoints. I think I, I felt the ever-growing decline of the doctrine of ecclesiology. Interesting. Uh, where church is this plastic, man-made social construct. You can take it or leave it, you know, and we make anything we want the church. You know, my home is a church. My family is a church. My Bible study is a church. This is a church. My soccer team is a church. Um, and I'm outside, so isn't that church too? And and also, I can take it or leave it. You know, it's just it's just like, a, like I'm joining a country club or an HOA or anything like that. And we've just got this ridiculously watered down understanding of of this amazing strong historic christian orthodox doctrine of ecclesiology the doctrine of the church and it's been in decline for a while it's never been particularly strong in the united states we were, were just the very nature of our founding uh, free market entrepreneurial system almost lent itself to uh, uh, a weak ecclesiology and we've talked about that before here too in this podcast was Sidney Mead called the lively experiment, where you just turn it loose. It allowed the church to flourish in some quarters because it was allowed to be entrepreneurial, but it also kind of watered down the definition and doctrine of the church. And so I think particularly with American parachurch movement, I'm really kind of, you get, you got me going here, so I'm going to have to rein it back. No but but the parachurch movement that was, that was also really big in the United States, and particularly uh, from the 50s to about the 70s or 80s, um, also watered down the doctrine of ecclesiology. And so I, I, I feel like I've just continued to see this sense where, uh, you know, to a Christian, I mean, I think all aspects of Christian doctrine are under attack and being, but, you know, it's like they'll still say, well, there's a doctrine. Here's what Jesus, and here's the doctrine of the end times, or here's the doctrine of, of the atonement, and here's, you know, this. But when it comes to the church, they don't even put it in the, the category of those other things. Yeah. And it's gotten a lot, it's created a lot of problems. But I've seen the, the ongoing decline hmm. of any sense of a, of a clear, strong doctrine of ecclesiology and of the church. And I think that that would be revolutionary for the Christian movement if it was regained. Third comes to mind is, is in, and again, I've talked about this a lot of late, is, and I think it's, it's a massive cultural phenomenon happening as we speak, is how ideological issues are becoming equated with theological convictions. Right. And ideology is almost replacing theology. And ideology is what has become our new theology and the new way we look at what is orthodox and what who I will associate with, what I believe to be right or wrong, what is true, false, what church I will participate in. It's all got an ideological bar. It's got a clear, not a theological bar. Mm-hmm. And that's frightening. Mm-hmm. And it's it's heretical. And uh, it also, um, so there's, there's so much wrong with it. It's hard to even know where to begin. But we have made ideology our new standard of orthodoxy. Hmm. And then finally, we've also talked about this. We're going to be show noting a lot of the podcast, but, it's been a, but that's been the beauty of this year. We've, we've covered a lot of ground. And when you look at the year in review, shame on us if, if we haven't talked about a lot of the major things, but um, is, the, um, is the whole idea of the, the, the suspicion of leadership, the right. kind of a new suspicion of leadership then, and, and um, that we know all the reasons why a lot of public failings and moral failings and financial misdealings and popular podcasts that go viral that delve into one church's, you know, debacle or decline or another. 
but I just, my heart just goes out to the rank and file, you know, God loving on their knees, praying, faithful pastor of a church they've given their life to and, and they would give their life for, and, and they wake up one day and the people they loved and cared for. And all of a sudden they're getting questions and suspicions that a, they don't deserve, never had before. They don't even know where it's coming from. And it's like one more front on an already very difficult life that they have uh, trying to serve Christ in that context. And so I, I do think that that is, is something that I, I hope begins to ebb, mm. you know, fade, but uh, you know, certainly was something very present in 22. I feel like any ministry leaders that were listening to that list of yours is like walking away from this thinking, it's going to be an uphill battle this coming year. Like there's, that's like kind of a heavy, heavy list to consider, you know, ideological concerns and. Okay. Let me, okay I'm so glad you said that. that. That prompts me. Let's, let's take a moment. Let me take a moment and just say to pastors out there, please, please stay in the game. Mm. Please stay in. Uh, don't quit. Don't, don't get so discouraged and disheartened that you, you just want to throw in the towel. Uh, God is so proud of you and he, he loves you and you're his precious son and prized daughter. And just, just don't, don't, uh, don't let, I'm not saying that these people who might be saying or doing these things are of Satan. I mean, they're, I'm just saying, don't let Satan win through whatever is going on. Hmm. Don't let him have the victory of, of getting you out of the, out of the contest. You felt called into this. God is going to be faithful. Your fruit may not be seen till the other side of the kingdom, but it's there. And what you do matters. And, you know, I, I just I just want to just cheer you on and hang in. The world needs you. We need you. Um, so your church needs you. And so you've got a lot of faithful people that, you know, do love you and are praying for you and would and 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 you've you've changed their life. Christ, what Christ has done through you has changed their life. And so don't ever for, forget that. And you may not hear the litany of all the people who say, thank you, thank you, thank you, until you're standing that one day before the throne, but that litany will come. Mm -hmm. And don't judge yourself by other pastors and other churches that might be larger or whatever, seemingly having it easier. As I've said many times, I think the, the greatest pastor that I ever met was a bivocational pastor, um, church of about 50. And I, I've said, I've thought many times, you know, when I die and get to heaven, I'll, I won't even see the guy. He'll be so close to the throne. Mm -hmm. And I won't, you know, he'll, anyway. So hang in there mm -hmm. and don't be discouraged by all this. I mean, God is still on his throne, no matter what happens in this world. And no matter what happens in this world, there's one big headline. He wins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm, thank you for that. I feel like that was desperately needed by a lot of our listeners. So thank you. Now, when I was preparing for this podcast, I, for the sake of time, I, I kind of want to wrap this up a little bit, but I, I'll admit, like I had a hard time narrowing down what we were going to talk about because um, there's so much that happened this year. There's so many things that we could have talked about. Um, but before we wrap up, I just wanted to kind of hand this conversation over to you and hear what did I miss or what have we not talked about that even maybe from the unique perspective that you offer in terms of, you know, as a cultural observer, what stands out to you about um, from this year that we haven't already talked about? No, you've done a great job, you know, going through the news and picking out things and, and for us to talk about. Um, I, I, you know, what comes to my mind is, is just the difficulty I'm seeing across our culture and, and particularly within the Christian movement 
of rising above things, of being a Christian first and a partisan second. Um, you know, of having your theology first and your ideology second and not the opposite. Um, and the inability, and, and this sounds so condescending, and I don't mean it to be condescending, but it's just, I, I, but this inability apparently seemingly to, 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 to be discerning and, and to be, to be wise about some of these things uh, and thinking Christianly about things. And what does it mean to think Christianly about things? Um, it's like we, 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 we can't, we can't allow ourselves to be part of a third party, you know, yeah. that, that, you know, or, or in R Richard Baxter's terms and later C.S. Lewis seizing Baxter, mere Christian, yeah, you know, a mere Christian and to have that lead <clears throat> to have a mind formed separate from being formed by social media mm -hmm. and to really do that. So I, you know, I wrote a little book several years ago that, that is, is, you know, people still tell me they find very helpful and, and uh, you can still get it. It's one of the, more, I think it's one of the more important books I wrote. It was simply called a Christian mind. And it was, mind for God. I mean, I'm sorry, mind for God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's about a Christian mind. It was called a mind for God. And, um, and, uh, and that, that I wish that what was, I tried to get across in that book could be more ingrained as, particularly as we engage culture and we engage each other and we think and we try to think and we're having to think about so many things. <clears throat> and yet our sources for thinking, our sources for knowledge, our ability to do that seems to be deteriorating extremely rapidly. Mm. And so, um, yeah, that little book uh, is one that I would certainly recommend as my best effort to to maybe get above that uh, and, and to, to do a better job mm. in just thinking about our world. Well, I'll certainly co-sign that. That is a, a fantastic book. So yeah, once again, we'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> well, um, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, this is, or was, I guess, our last episode of the year. Um, but that said, we are looking to forward to just kind of picking up this conversation right where we've left off at the beginning of January. So in the meantime, you can continue to hear and learn from Jim through his um, Church and Culture blog, um, or you can check out past podcast episodes that maybe you haven't had a chance to listen to yet. Um, and then again, just as we mentioned earlier, thank you so much for listening. This has been just a really unexpected but wonderful gift to have you to be able to do this and to have you learn from this. So um, on that note, we hope that you have a wonderful Christmas and we look forward to having you join us. Join back with us next year. <laughs>